Thank you so much, choir, and thank you for leading us in worship today. Take your Bibles, if you would, find Revelation chapter 3. We will begin reading in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. We're glad you've come. You've uh, showed up early this morning, filled the room, and uh, we're glad you hear exciting things. Exciting day, always, whenever we come into uh, the Lord's house. Know that He has great things in store. Most of you probably will not remember. Of course, we have been working through, and this is the last of our series on seven uh, churches of Revelation, and we've been working these on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. Thought we'd try a little bit something uh, different, I guess, this January. It is the... uh, uh, it is the focal study for Southern Baptists this year, especially for a January Bible study. So one reason that we're doing this. Some of you will not remember unless you have written it down in your Bible. But in my first year here, we went through the seven churches of Revelation. And the purpose so that we might be able to discover exactly what kind of church that we want to be. We're still discovering that today. And as we continue to talk about the uh, being on mission this year, what a great way, hopefully, for us to begin to see how we might be able to be on mission. In fact, we learned from the church of Ephesus uh, that we do not need to lose our first love. We learned uh, from the church of Smyrna that we need to trust God in the midst of all circumstances and situations and difficulties. We learn from the church of Pergamum that we do not need to compromise uh, what we believe. From Thyatira, we don't need to compromise in how we behave and in my, our morality. We learn from the church of Sardis to look alive and not spiritually dead. And also we learn from Philadelphia that we need to go through the open doors that the Lord has opened to us, particularly for those to be able to share the gospel. So today... We come to the look at the church of Laodicea and in this church to avoid being lukewarm, but instead we want to be passionate for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and for His church. And it is that letter in which we read, we find Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word today? This now is the Word of God to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19 reads, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I had told a church that I was leaving that pastorate to go to another pastorate. And after that, some people, of course, came up to me, one lady particularly with tears in her eyes, and she said, Oh, pastor, please don't leave us. She said... Every, past, every new pastor we ever have is worse than the one before. <clears throat> it took me to, to realize that that really was not a compliment. I think what she's saying was, I wasn't too hot, but she sure didn't want anybody worse. 
Well, some of us can't really handle the whole truth, but we have here the one who is called the Amen, the true and faithful witness. He does give the truth to the church of Laodicea. He sees a lukewarm church and he tells it like it is. He describes the church like tepid, lukewarm water not fit for consumption and he would spit out, which is a polite way of saying what it really means to be spewed out from being sick to the stomach. Jesus said this to the church of Laodicea to get their attention. He says it to the church of Laodicea to get our attention and also as a warning. Now there's been long debate exactly what Jesus meant when he talked to this church and what he meant by hot and cold and lukewarm. And as we read this, we might immediately see and could maybe determine that those who are hot could refer to those who are on fire for Jesus and have great spiritual zeal. Those who are cold could refer to those who openly reject Christ and His teaching. And the lukewarm might mean those who are lost church members who profess Christ, pretend to be religious, but do not really belong to Jesus. They are not Christians at all. This very well might be what Jesus has in mind. For He has, and we read in verse 17, it says, They're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Does that sound like the status of a Christian? After all, would Jesus want to spit out of His mouth those who belong to Him? If this is where we land today, and it very well could be, then you are in good company. Many Bible scholars, many students of the Bible describe the hot and the cold and the lukewarm just this way. But let me introduce you to another interpretation that may be relevant and particularly to that church and to the city in which it was being written. The church of Laodicea had no real water supply to speak of. Water had to be piped in from an aqueduct underground. To the north were the cold mountain streams that were refreshing and favorable to the taste. To the south were the boiling hot springs still being used today. And from either direction, by the time it got piped in there to the city of Laodicea, it was tepid, stale, and dirty. A visitor who would come to that town and maybe drink the water there in Laodicea for the very first time, they would immediately spit it out as being undrinkable. Jesus may have been using this kind of illustration for the church. Lukewarm might mean lost church members, or lukewarm could mean worldly Christians, those who belong to the Lord Jesus, but they are still living as if they're living for the world. Either way, church members were neither refreshing or thirst-quenching as they could have from the cool water from the uh, springs of, from the mountains above, nor warm and helpful from the hot springs below. They were distasteful of little use, described as lukewarm. Let me make this argument. Nobody, including Jesus, expects non-believers to act like believers. However, we do know that while Jesus was on His earth, He got particularly and justifiably angry with those who were the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel because they claimed to be the children of God, but they were leading people astray. I think I could make an argument either way that as we talk about lukewarm, they could be talking about those who were members but who did not really know Jesus versus those who were believers, true believers, but they were living more like the world. Keep in mind, most of the lessons and most of the warnings for all of the other churches were for Christians, those who were believers, the body of Christ. However, the, the message of the good news from all letters is for all people. But let me give you a heads up. Before we're through today, all of us will be asked to examine our relationship 
with the Lord and where we are spiritually and where we are, uh, whether we are hot or cold, or do you really know Jesus today? Some people's spiritual life is based on a religion of works rather than a relationship with Jesus and the promises of God. But all seven letters that we have looked at so far, and there are the seven letters, they've all talked about and given a description of Jesus and who He is or given names for Jesus. We find here that Jesus is called the Amen, the true and faithful witness, and it's the one on which we can rely on. This is the only place in Scripture in which Jesus is called the Amen or the Amen. Only time it's used for a proper name for our Lord. Now, Amen is really a transliteration of the Hebrew word meaning truth. You may not have known it, but every time you've prayed, if you have ended it by saying Amen or Amen, you are actually speaking Hebrew to say that this is true and that this is what you believe. It is usually put at the end of a solemn statement to guarantee its truth, meaning when it is given to Jesus that He is authentic. More than that, He is the final truth. He is the voice of authority. Most of us probably will not hear an audible voice from God in our lifetime. There could be many reasons for that. One of those may be because the voice of Jesus that came. And Jesus came and perhaps told us all that needs to be said. And we have all that needs to be said through His Word. But I want to bring out what is said in the description of Jesus because it goes to our claim of Christ. He is the originator or He is the ruler of creation. Some translations say here that He is the beginning of creation, not meaning that He is the first one being created, but He is the instigator of creation. Because you see, what we believe about Jesus is crucial. Some will have you believe that He is less than God, but we understand that He is God. He was there in Genesis 1-1 when it says, In the beginning, God, Jesus, was there. We know that from John 1-1 to where it says, In the beginning was the Word. Who was the Word? It was Jesus. And then in 1 John 1.1, where it says, That which was from the beginning. John begins his first letter that he writes to the churches, and he is describing who Jesus is. Fundamental to our faith. You cannot be saved unless you know who Jesus is. Unless you know that He is God, and you have asked Him into your heart. For only the Almighty has the power to change your life, and to give you eternal life. And today... We want to ask you, where do you stand in relation to the one and only for real God whom we know also through Jesus Christ? Where are you in relation to the cross? Well, we want to look at some important questions hopefully to help us today. And as we look at these questions, they'll kind of help us on how to check your spiritual temperature. And the first one has to do with... What is it they say about when you're going to buy a house or something about relation, most important thing, maybe if you're selling a house, three most important things are what? Location, location, location. So the first one has to do with location. What is the location of your heart? Do you have a heart for the cross? Or do you have more of a heart for the culture? Have you laid up more treasures on earth or in heaven? Now, two well-known verses in this chapter and in this letter from Revelation chapter 3 that are pretty well-known. First is verse 16, where it says, Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And the other that's pretty well-known is that Revelation 3.20 that we read, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. We have in these two verses what we might see as two sides of our Lord. 
on one side, we do have God who is disgusted, yea, nauseated to people who call themselves a church, but are indifferent to the things of God, too blind to see their own need. The harshest warning of all the seven churches perhaps is found in this very letter because they misrepresent the precious name of Jesus, the name above all names. But on the other hand, we have a God who stands at the door lovingly seeking out men and women, boys and girls, who will have fellowship with Him, which means the warning for the church is not final, but there is hope. You know, God, who cannot be pinpointed in one illustration, has been described as one coin with two sides. And on one coin is perfect love. The love of God is described in the Bible as seen in Jesus, made complete in the lives of those who love Him. But on the other side of that same coin is what we understand as justice because we know God is just and He is holy. He simply will not and cannot overlook sin because of His holiness. And the justice and the judgment of God is seen throughout, throughout the Old Testament and, under, and the New Testament. And we must understand and we come to understand both sides. Speaking of location, which side of the coin will you experience? Because you can't experience today the love of God. That love was made manifest through Jesus Christ on the cross. Although through Christ justice was served, Folks, you don't want to experience the justice and the wrath of Almighty God. But we've probably all said at one time or another, maybe on a bad day, maybe something's happened to us we really hope had not happened to us, but we probably all, if we haven't said it, we've at least thought it, I sure don't deserve this. I sure deserve better. Listen, I pray to God that you and I never will get what we truly deserve. Because at the heart of the gospel is that we stand in God's debt, one that we could never repay because He paid a debt that He did not owe. For all genuine believers, Jesus paid the price. However, the church at Laodicea thought that they could pay their own way. A church, one of the richest cities overcome by worldliness, a city known for three things to them, three things that were known to the city that apparently were also important to the people in the church, not just to those in that city, but to those in the church. Let's talk about those for the moment. One of those had to do with the economy. The economy was important because of the wealth of the city, ancient city with a lot of money. They had an ancient banking process that they would use. Also, gold was found in and around this city, lots of it. They had a gold depository, so the economy was important. But also health care was important. Laodicea, the city, was known for the medicinal things in which they could supply for the city and people around them, and particularly an eye salve that somehow they thought would be a help. They were known for an eye salve, an ointment that was mentioned here in the verses in which we read. And also they were known for fashion. They were known for the clothing business. Apparently they had some kind of sheep that made some of the finest black wool in the world. Well, economy, health care, and fashion. Can you think of anywhere else in the world these three things seem important today? How about economy and health care? Are these things important to the culture in which we live and to our nation as well? Is fashion a priority in our country? Let me ask you, when you got up this morning, and some of you get up early because it's the 8.30 service, and you came and you opened the door of your closet and you looked in, how many of you might have thought, with a, looking at a full closet, thinking to yourself, I have nothing to wear today? 
Now notice I didn't say the ladies thought that. I just said people perhaps thought that. Do you think Jesus might have something to say to our nation today about priorities? Now remember that these letters were written to the churches, not to the nation. God's much more concerned with changing the church and changing our priorities of His people than He is with changing the nation. But a church can sometimes reflect more of the culture than it does reflect that of Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you today. I want you to have a plan to lead your heart away from the culture and away from the world and closer to to the Christ and closer to the cross. We need to have a plan. And I want you to be ready just to write something down. You've got maybe some space there that you could write it down or think of it real hard if you're not one of those who write things down. But what is it? Because if we're not intentional in leading our heart away from this world and toward Christ, I'm afraid our human nature is that we will automatically, instead, we will reflect the culture and the world in which we live. Which we live. Think right now what you need to do or to continue to do to lead your heart and your desire to please God may have something to do with a daily devotion that you need to have more frequently. could have something to do with memorizing more of God's Word, finding yourselves more among God's people. It could have something that you need to step into God's purpose or God's plan for your life. Maybe the Lord's give you some indication about that. And maybe you've not quite taken that step of faith that you need. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that you need to stop doing something that is causing you to lean more toward the culture than it is for the cross. So we're talking about important things that will help us and to check our spiritual temperature where we are today and whether we're hot, cold, or lukewarm. One of them has to do with location. A second one has to do with listening. Are you able to listen to Jesus? Are you in a place to where if Jesus were to call out or if He were to knock on your door, would you be in a place to where you could hear it or where you might even notice now this passage might remind us of that kid's game that we sometimes play. That sometimes somebody walks out of the room, you hide something in the room and they begin, they see if they can find it. And you say when they're getting close, you say, oh, you're getting warm. Oh, you're getting warmer. Oh, you're on fire. You're on fire. Or if they're going the other way, you're getting cold, man. You're chilling now. You are freezing. Now what happens if you're freezing? What do you do? You turn around and you turn and you go the other way. I, w- I would that you were hot or cold, but you're neither, Jesus says. You're lukewarm like a stale cup of coffee, sick to the taste, and no idea which way to go. Now the worst thing about being lukewarm may not have... Was it if they weren't quite warm enough or a little too cold? But it's probably closer to no feeling at all. Apathetic. Indifferent. Uncaring. Not able to listen to Jesus saying you're getting warmer or you're getting colder. The church at Laodicea was not cold or hot. They didn't know they had a need for Jesus. They had learned to be self-sufficient, which is a lie, which we cannot be self-sufficient. And graciously, Jesus, had, who had been put out of the church and out of their hearts, where do we find Jesus? He stands at the doors and knocks when He could have just walked away. And Jesus writes this letter to them so that they will listen, so that they might be able to hear the knock. And then Jesus describes them as they really are in verse 17. He says, you are wretched, pitiable. And what's the last three words that he used? Poor, blind, and naked. Now what were the three things that reported to the city of Laodicea and apparently to the people of the church? There was riches. They had money. Money's the answer to every problem, so some people think. 
You know all the gold in Laodicea? It's gone. There's none left. Health care. And particularly an eye salve and an ointment that would help somehow with seeing. And I, you know what modern day science has described that as having no medicinal value whatsoever. They just thought it did. How about fashion or clothing? But they were really, Jesus said, naked spiritually. The ultimate shame. This was reality living in a fantasy. What was worse is that they were claiming Christ, which made Jesus sick to his stomach. We've been kind. If we think that anything this world has to offer will sustain us or cure us or cover us, all will be laid bare. It doesn't matter how convinced you are that you're religious and everything is okay, even if you say the right words and show up every time the door is open. You can clothe yourself in religion, but if you do not have a growing relationship with Jesus, you're only fooling yourself. Maybe this will help. There's, a, uh, there's an inscription on an old cathedral in Lubbock, Germany. This cathedral was built in the 1100s. Most of it was destroyed in World War II. It took about 40, it took several decades anyway to restore it. And they finally restored it in 1982 and opened it. But they found this inscription that uh, predates, of course, the rebuilding of the temple. They don't know who wrote it. But it says, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord does. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me life and choose me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. Old inscription on an old church, but just as relevant and a warning for today. Where Where are we going with all of this? See, We want to, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we don't want to live a life of fantasy. We want to live a life of reality and know the difference. Claiming God and knowing God are two different things. Listen as He knocks on your heart's door and draws draws you close to Him. Listen to His counsel. We should find ourselves every day in a place to where we are able to listen to Him, listen if He's knocking, listen to His voice if He's calling us. And surely that begins with our daily prayer time and our time in God's Word. But Jesus wants us to listen now to what He's saying to the church. Did you notice He said in verse 18, I give this counsel. He wants us to listen. Verse 20, He said, if anyone hears my voice. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear. And then Jesus tells us what should be important to the church. And he tells us that in verse 18. He says, Buy the gold refined in the fire. Well, what is that gold that's refined in the fire? 1 Peter 1.7 says, It's genuine faith is more precious than gold. So it is genuine faith in Christ. It, it is interesting that people who thought that they were rich are called poor and they're asked to buy something. Buy the gold that's been refined in the fire. But we know that Jesus paid the price and salvation is free. Poor so the poor can pay the price. We humble ourselves and call upon Him in faith. And you cannot buy faith in Christ. It's already been paid for. But for those who are wealthy with this world, that free gift is worth giving it all up. And then Jesus says, put on the white clothes to cover your nakedness. Actually, say. It's the idea, now you need to buy those white clothes. Instead of the black wool that they were famous for, buy, put on the white clothes, which stands for the righteousness that we have through the forgiveness of sin because of what Christ has done. Don't think that you're clothed with religion. 
the righteousness of, it's by the righteousness of God and what becomes the most important part of our life is a growing relationship, right fellowship with the one who has redeemed us. And then he says, put on that true eye salve so your eyes can be opened. This has to do with our eyes being opened to God's purpose for your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, The things of God are foolishness to the natural man because they have not received the things of the Spirit of God. Now, this passage in Revelation is a very sobering passage. It captures our attention. Hopefully most would say, I don't want to be lukewarm. So we have three items, three questions that we have kind of to help us to check our spiritual temperature. One is locations, the location of your heart. Is your heart focused more on this world or on the cross? Are you in a place where you can hear God if He speaks and you're able to listen to Him? The third one has to do with love. Is your desire to experience and share the love of Jesus growing? Are there lukewarm Christians? Sure there are. There are those who are not growing in God's love. And this lesson is for God's people who need a better understanding of God's love. Jesus said in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Here's a proof that God still loves you. Whatever you go through, whatever trial or difficulty, the Lord uses it to help you to learn to be like Him and to draw you closer to Him. Here's a wild idea. The fact that Jesus allows you to go through some difficulties is proof He loves you. While not every difficulty is evidence that you're out of God's will, nor is every difficulty evidence that you're in God's will, He wants to use every situation to bring you into a right fellowship with Him and to draw you closer to Him than you've ever been before. And when you go astray, He's working to bring you back. That you might be back to that hot and cold thing so that you might be, He said it here, be zealous and repent. The word zealous is a word that means to be hot. Means to be passionate. What does he have to do? Here, the church of Laodicea was a church full of lukewarm people who had a problem because Jesus is outside the church. Listen, if a church has Jesus outside and not on the inside, we know that there is a problem. But where do we what do we find Jesus doing outside the church? He is knocking. Now, what would it take for there to be a great spiritual awakening among us? What would it take to bear to be a true revival? Who would have to preach the sermons? Who would have to sing the songs? How many prayer meetings would we have to have? I'm willing. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever sacrifice. But it's not necessarily just a price or a sacrifice, but it's by letting Jesus into the church because even today He is knocking. Here's what I want you to notice. He's not saying you all need to let Jesus in. He's not saying y'all need to open the door. No, it's singular. It says if anyone, singular, if one person will let him in, the fires of revival will spread. One person. So while it is admittedly so, particularly these seven letters, we've been talking a lot about the church and the characteristics of the church. We know that the application is for the individual. In this particular case... In this particular, it's even more so because Jesus says, if you let me, if one person, anyone lets me in, great awakening will begin to take place. 
in London, England, there in St. Paul's Cathedral, there's the famous painting, hangs in the cathedral, this painting by Holman Hunt. It represents the Revelation chapter 320. It's an old cottage with vines grown over it. Standing at the front door is Jesus. He's standing there, long, kingly type robes, crown on his head, lantern in one hand, and he's knocking with the other. Critics commented to Hunt about his painting and said, well, you have not completed the painting. There's no handle on the outside. And he said, there's no mistake. The handle's on the inside. You have to let Jesus in. He will not barge in. But he's seeking you long before you seek him. Now, here's the good news. If he knocks on the door of the heart of the lukewarm church, as disgusted as he is with them, then he knocks on the heart of every person wanting to come in. So, is this an invitation for the lost to let Jesus into their heart? Or is this an invitation for believers who are out of fellowship? The answer is yes. Now I would say probably if I had to say one side or the other, it's more for the church, those who are out of fellowship, who put Jesus outside of their fellowship and outside the church. But if it's for one, it surely it is for the other. And if we're part of the Lord's family, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. But practically speaking, many have moved Jesus to the outside and made something else more important. Or maybe you've allowed Jesus into the front room of your house, spiritually speaking. And you need to let Him into all your house. Or Jesus needs to be Lord not just of Sunday, but He needs to be Lord of every day of the week. He's on the outside wanting to come in. There's an invitation for believers to renew or to restore their fellowship with the Lord. But this is an invitation for anyone to give your heart and life to Jesus. It's an invitation for salvation for those who need to accept Jesus today. Because even today, and maybe particularly today, Jesus is knocking on the heart's door of anyone who may be here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior who cannot say that they have a home in heaven and have Christ in their heart today. But he's not going to barge in, just as we as a church are going to have to continue to allow Jesus to come in, be in the midst to be in the center of all that we do. If you don't know Christ today, you're going to have to let Jesus Christ in. How do you do that? We want you to understand very simply. Lord, here's our prayers. And when you ask Christ to come in, you ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sin. He forgives all of our sins, past, present, and even future. And we ask Jesus to come in and be our Savior and Lord, not because we've said the right words, but because of the genuineness of your heart. If you want Christ to come in, He'll come in today. Now, church, if I were to ask you today, don't you want to be a warm, friendly church? I mean, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Well, we want to be a warm, friendly church. But you know what the definition of warm is? Not so hot. Listen. We don't want to be just a warm, friendly church. Oh, we want to be a church that's on fire. We want to be a church that's zealous. We want to be a church that is always on fire and on mission to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're inside the church. We're outside the church. Wherever we find ourselves, knowing that Jesus has made a difference in our life, and because of that, we want Jesus to make a difference in everyone's life as well. We want to become passionate for Jesus, excited about His church, and about kingdom business. You know, next week is Super Sunday. It's going to be Super Sunday for our church as well. Uh, Starting new uh, sermon series coming out of Romans chapter 1 through 4. and 
It's going to be entitled, Why Should I Believe? Standing Up for Jesus. It'll be a great time to invite people. We want it to be a super Sunday here at church. And so this week, here's I want you to ask you to do this week. Every day, wake up and think to yourself, what would my day look like if I was truly on fire and on mission for Jesus? And then follow the Lord's and the Holy Spirit's direction for that. Probably if we were on fire and on mission for Jesus, loved His church, we'd probably be inviting people, sharing the love of Jesus. We want to encourage you to do that very thing. Let me encourage you to allow Christ to make a difference in our life because He's in the center of our church. He's in the center of our heart. Let's bow together. Father, we thank You so very much for opportunities that You give us to come and to be able to fellowship with one another, be able to experience Your love, be able to serve in ministry and mission. And Father, we pray that we will not be a church, Father, that are lukewarm to the things of God. But we'll be one who is our own fire, zealous, ready to follow, ready to serve. Father, we pray that not just today, but throughout our study of these seven churches that you've helped us discover what kind of church we want to be, what kind of body of Christ. We pray, Father, we'll be more loving. Father, we pray that we'll not be compromising. We pray that you'll be the center of all that we do. We pray, Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, pray that they may know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if they call upon you, that you'll save them, come into their heart and life, and that you'll be Savior and Lord, give them eternal life. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen. We're going to be singing our song of response today, and I'm going to be